listening to First Church Charlotte. Amen. Praise the Lord, somebody. I'm excited about what God's doing in this year. Uh, the Lord has continued to open doors. Um, in addition to Celebrate Recovery, which uh, Pastor Lisa's slipping out because she was worried I was going to get her or something there. What is it, the H's, if you have problems with husbands or honeys? Husbands or honeys and uh, something else. Anyway, uh, no, uh, we, we had our first uh, Alcoholics Anonymous this past week here. We hosted on Wednesday night over in the Life Center and um, had a really big crowd. I, I was impressed with, I don't remember exactly what it was, but uh, Pastor Ed was there and he was, he was really impressed with how well it was run, how many people came and uh, how thankful they were to have a church host them and not want money from them. From them. And so uh, that is just uh, another way we can serve, and we were thankful for the opportunity to serve. Um, people, the least of these, right? <laughs> Um, any way we can help, we want to help. And um, I want to echo what Pastor Don said. This is the best way to get to know people is to serve together, to serve together. And it is biblical. It is the uh, really what the New Testament church is supposed to look like. And so I am going to get started in the, in the word of the Lord today. Um, just to echo um, one more thing. I'm teaching first steps today. This will be the first time I've done it since we started the Concord campus. So I have four of them, four events today, uh, because uh, my wife told me I hadn't been working hard enough. And she said, if I did not shape up in the new year, then she was going to have to. And I, I fired back. I said, well, yeah, I feel like you should preach at least once a month. And she, see that shake of that head right there? Nothing but a bad spirit. That's all I got to say about that. Um, my, my subject today is probably the least exciting title you'll have ever heard a preacher preach on. And the moment I say this, you're going to be like, really? I, <laughs> I brush my teeth for this? <laughs> my title is The Daily Work of Consecration. Uh, the Daily Work of Consecration. Why would I talk about it now? Because it's so normal for us to organize our, 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 our seasons, our life into years. It's so, it's so normal for that. And a new year should prompt within us a desire to answer that question, that reflective, carefully asked question. Am I living the life that I want to live? Am I becoming the person I want to be or have I settled for a second class existence? Have I settled for a second tier following? Have I in some ways missed being the believer, the church member, uh, the Christian, uh, the parent, the husband, the father? Have I missed in some way uh, that which I wanted to be? Uh, it's normal for us to do this, and we oftentimes start New Year's out thinking about it and reflecting, not so much creating impossible goals for ourselves. I would caution everyone against creating an impossible goal. Um, if it is too far a step, 
your ability to make that step is fundamentally limited and you have set yourself up for failure. Now, this is real common in church. It's real common for us to set ourselves up for failure. We'll see someone who has a great gift, anointing, um, and we'll see them, and just to use kind of a, to quantify the point, uh, you'll see someone, and maybe after so many years of becoming prayer, uh, failure, yes, uh, unfortunately, failure is part of the journey, you feel like they're at some level above you. They're like, let's say they're at level 10, okay? And you think to yourself, I admire that. I admire who they are. I admire the, the, the life they are living, and I want more of that. And so you're down here in the meantime, let's say level three or four. And so what you do, you do what all of us do. You get this running start <laughs> and you go as fast as you can go. And then you leap into the air and you are going to get to level 10 or something like that from level three or four. And you've, you've fallen into a fundamental trap, which goes like this. They did not get there in one leap. They, they didn't get there because they one day grit their teeth hard enough and clenched their fists tight enough and they got enough speed and they stole one of those bouncy boards. And um, that's not how spiritual progression, you can fool a lot of people, but you can't fool God. Um, the easiest person to fool, uh, let's, just, let's just be real here, uh, is ourselves. That, that's the easiest person to feel like we're at some place we're not at. And then to get mad at somebody when they're like, whoa, just easy, whoa, trigger, you know. <laughs> um, that reality of, of, of setting yourself up to failure. We become our potential day by day. Yes. We become people of faith day by day. Um, we celebrate great moments of scriptural moment, uh, importance, um, weight. Um, we celebrate that day of Pentecost. We don't celebrate the 10-day prayer meeting. When have you ever heard a preacher get up and say, today I want to celebrate day five. Talking about day five. Is there going to be any swind in the room? No. <laughs> this is funny. I don't care what y'all say. Is there going to be any tongues of fire? Somebody say, no, you ain't lucky. <laughs> You're going to grind all day long. <laughs> and nothing's going to happen. But today we're celebrating day five. Never. It's always the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, ma, they were all in one accord in one place. Ma, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven like a rush. We celebrate the day of Pentecost and we forget that <laughs> we forget about 10 days of prayer. You know what? We Instead of doing seven days of prayer and fasting, we ought to do 10 days of prayer and fasting after the, uh, the prayer meeting in the upper room. <laughs> so um, here, 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 uh, I, want you to, I want you to see this, this becoming, this spiritual day by day of becoming who you can be in God. Um, uh, consecration happens day by day or it doesn't happen. Consecration is not the emotional experience of great church. Now, I know we all love it. I'm not against it. I want it more the merrier. Like the Apostle Paul said, 
I'm not talking against tongues. I talk in tongues more than all of y'all, but some of y'all are crazy, you know. Uh, that, that's basically the NGA version of, of what Paul's saying. I'm not against tongues. I talk more than y'all, but some of y'all are crazy. Um, I'm not against that emotion. I'm not against that. that. By any means, don't misunderstand. But that's not consecration. That is this kind of cathartic uh, gathering uh, where buoyed by your own faith, perhaps having received the word, having gathered with other brothers, brothers and sisters, you sing the songs. Maybe you have an awesome worship leader uh, like we do this weekend, Sister Kiara. We're so honored to have her here leading worship with us from St. Louis and the Urshan College there. I'm proud of all my vocal students. But anyway, so there's this, this idea of, of this whole house is being caught up. And let me tell you something, when the house gets stirring, you may not even have prayed that week and you still get a blessing. You ain't even been living right. You need to repent for something you did. But in that moment, man, James hit the high notes. You know what I'm saying? And you're caught up in this. It's almost like, I don't know if it was God, but it was a great concert. It's this gathering, this carrying of a stream. Is it good? Yes. Does God use it? Absolutely. Why do you think we try so hard for a good church? It matters. But consecration is day by day. It is deciding how I'm going to walk today. It's deciding how I'm going to talk today. The choir may or may not be singing, but I've made up my mind. Oh, that's some good preaching right there. My favorite preacher may be preaching and may be in trouble. Who knows? But this is what I want to say. I've made up my mind, and I'm not easily swayed off of this consecration I made. Some days I'm up, and some days I'm down, but here I stand, having done all... And therefore, the daily work of consecration. Um, all of us uh, love the idea of doing something great for God, uh, but oftentimes um, our circumstances have not prompted us to something that meets our criteria of greatness. When I think about uh, somebody doing some uh, majestic work for the Lord, um, I think about someone like Amy Carmichael, who most of you probably haven't even heard of. Um, in the 1800s, uh, she found out about young girls who in India were actually kept in um, Hindu temples as temple prostitutes. They were owned, and she, uh, as a fervent believer, 20 years old, she decided to make it her life mission to try to help get those uh, young women out of their their uh, the bondage, literally bondage of, of, of a type of slavery forced into being the temple prostitutes for various uh, Hindu um, uh, sects in uh, uh, India. And she moved there and she began the process. And, uh, she started working there in 1895 and until her death in 1951, she dedicated her life to helping these young women out of that, that lifestyle and helping them get jobs, helping them find their own way, helping them get free from that indentured slavery. Um, she oftentimes had to get girls out at night 
street. She literally would sneak on into temple compounds and help them escape, have meetings with them, ask them if they wanted to leave. And she would have already prepared a place for them. And when they left, they, were, they had a place to go. Um, over her life, she was able to rescue somewhere between 500 and 1,000 uh, young girls and women from that literal uh, prostitution slavery uh, in the name of a, uh, of a god. I, I, I read that. She founded, you can read about her, Donover Fellowship. Um, you, you read about that and you think, wow, what an amazing thing to do. And, and here, all my opportunities aren't that amazing. And you talk yourself out of the dailiness of your calling, the dailiness of your gifts, the dailiness of your consecration, because it did not reach an appropriate standard of a marketing slogan. You talk yourself out of it, but I want to preach it on this uh, one of the first Sundays of the year, and I want to say this to you. I guess this is the first Sunday of the year. I want to say this to you. Everything you ever do for God will feel much more like dailiness than it will feel like dynamic moment. And if you're waiting for a dynamic moment, you'll never do that much for the kingdom of God because it's day by day. It is prayer by prayer. It is word by word. It is step by step. It is here a little and there a little, but God is in all of it. Don't despise the day of little things. It takes a lot of days to put together something dynamic, but if you ignore the dailiness, you'll never have a chance to stand in the dynamic. I want to challenge all of you to look at this year from the perspective of daily consecration, daily consecration. I can be religious by having one day a week devoted to God, but I cannot be consecrated having only one day a week devoted to God. I can have a type of social label. My friends and neighbors can think of me as religious if I go to church occasionally, and uh, that, that is good, and church is God's gift to all of us to put us in a complete body because all of us are incomplete in ourself and our efficiency and effectiveness is dependent upon our ability to mesh with the body of Christ. It is a valuable thing to come together, but it is a daily thing to be used of God. It is a daily thing to be consecrated unto the Lord. Now, a few months back, I, I taught on what does it mean to uh, put God first? And uh, we went through a lot of scriptures. Some of you will remember. Some of you will not remember. I don't, I don't hold it against you whatsoever. Honestly, I can't remember what I preached half the time either. So uh, if you don't give me a title, it's, I'm on to the next thing. But um, we talked about what does it mean if you go through the Bible and you make a student of yourself and you humble yourself and you, you stop trying to you know, elevate yourself to some uh, religio hierarchical place and you just, you just go to the Bible and you ask yourself the question, if I were to put God first, what would it look like? Say, uh, you started out this year and you asked yourself that question. If I were to put God first, what would it, what would it look like? Um, what would it entail? 
Uh, and there were, there were five things that we saw in the scripture together in that Bible study we did. I, I want to review them because it, it fundamentally answers this question of what if I really did put God first? I don't just mean, you know, kind of have a routine, but what if I, what if I really decided to live as a Christian, to try to be Christ-like? Uh, there are five things, and we put them in a memory tool of taking the word first and using those letters in the word first to remind us of the five arenas of uh, uh, spiritual singularity where you have to put God first. And it wasn't just any of our specific opinions. It was biblical. And we came up with uh, God first, uh, the F, the I, the R, the S, the T. And the F is, uh, of course, finances. The Bible makes it very clear that giving is part of Christian purpose. I don't say that because I want to live in a $10 million home or fly around on a private jet. Um, I don't say that because I want to drive a Rolls Royce or whatever you, you understand. I, I'm not trying to be a celebrity preacher with it. I'm simply looking at the scripture and saying uh, giving is fundamental to pleasing God because it is to demonstrate faith to God. What The whole point of tithing is, is not a, a calculus where God owes you something. That's not what it is. It's a statement to God that you believe that you will have more with 90% and his blessing than you have with 100% and not putting him first. And therefore, you put the first fruits. Uh, it's a biblical idea. Um, I know it's real popular to talk about all the church wants is money. Uh, I just want to remind you here, we almost never take up special offerings here. We're not about that. I've been bivocational my whole ministry. My wife's been bivocational. Whether or not you put God first in finances is probably not going to affect me much one way or the other unless the church went way down from here because my personal income is just a small slice of anything that is used for ministry here at First Church. Why do I say that? Because I want to answer the critic who always is trying to act like all the preacher wants to do is fly around in a private jet. If I had a private jet, I'd take you for a ride. Uh, but there is no risk of me having a private jet. I am not preaching generosity. In fact, let me take it further. Uh, at risk of maybe even offending you, which I don't want to do, I want to take it further. If you believe that I am a crook um, and you don't want to give money to anything I'm involved with, find a pastor you can believe in and pay tithes. It's biblical. If you think First Church is opportunistic, a bunch of mercenaries out there trying to find a way to, uh, you know, live a double life, uh, find a church you can believe in. But this principle is so fundamental that it's part of being Christ-like to give, to give, to give, to give. Proverbs 3 and 9, CEV version, honor the Lord by giving him your money and the first part of all your crops. Um, and there's so much more. 1 Corinthians 16 and 2, this is the living Bible. On every Lord's Day, each of you should put aside something from what you have earned during the week and use it for this offering. The amount depends on how much the Lord has helped you earn. Tithing isn't really about the preacher having a good life. It's not what it's about. It's about a statement of fundamental dependence upon the Lord. This is the only promise in all the word of God that the Lord invites you to test him on. 
No other promise in all the word of God are you invited to test the Lord. In fact, testing him on anything else that he has assured is in, uh, 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 offensive uh, to the Lord. Uh, except tithing. In tithing, the Lord says, uh, I am the, well, let me make sure I'm in the deal. Malachi 3 and 10, uh, the CEV. I am the Lord all-powerful, and I challenge you to put me to the test. Bring the entire 10% into the storehouse so there will be food in my house and I will open the windows of heaven and flood you with blessing after blessing. This is the only thing in the Bible that says to test the Lord on. Uh, when I teach first steps and we talk about finances or I'm asked about it, I tell them this. Look, uh, because the Bible gives us permission, this is what I want you to do. If you can't tithe 10%, find something that you'll notice, some amount that you'll notice, and offer that to the Lord as a test. And see if he won't, he doesn't begin to help you, bless you, assist you, open doors for you. He's invited you to read the small print. <laughs> He's invited you to test him. Giving is fundamental to being a Christian. Let me give you one more example of that uh, that I, I want to, I think, I, I actually like to study this way because it's so easy for us to make the Bible about what we want it to say, not actually what the Bible says. Um, it's something that I've, I've seen over and over again uh, where people, they get their favorite scriptures and to hear them teach the Bible, you would think that's all that's in the Bible. Um, uh, <laughs> um, if you look up the word believe, now as believers, we talk a lot about believing. How many times is the word believe mentioned in the Bible? Uh, lucky for you, I, I have the numbers here. 272 times the Bible tells us to be, brother, to be believers, to, to, to believe the promises of God, to live that faith. How about prayer? How many times does the Bible talk about prayer? 371 times the Bible tells us uh, to pray. Uh, that's uh, enough for more than one a day, right? How about love? You know, here at First Church, you hear about love God, love people all the time. You roll your eyes after a few years, you know. <laughs> How many times is love mentioned in the scripture? 714 times we are commanded to love one another. We are commanded to love uh, uh, people in our life. Well, let's talk about giving. How many times is giving mentioned in the Bible? 2,162 times. 10 times more than believing. How are we going to do this? Five to six times more than prayer. And three times more than love, give. Why? I'll tell you why I think. I think for this reason. To give is to do all of these things. It is to show the impact of these things in your life. And so uh, we must be people of generosity and we must find ways to give. Put God first in your finances. If you don't like me, find somebody you like. Put God first in your finances. There's no other way to please him. Secondly, uh, put God first in your interests. Put God first in your interests. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, you must do all, all, all for the, say it with me, glory, glory, glory of God. You must put God first in your life. Interests are, uh, I'm, I'm not in the business of preaching against interests. I'm in the business of warning against 
interests. If there's something that gives you more joy than God, you might need to find yourself an altar or you might need to rebuild an altar. Interests serve as early warning indicators in our life where we're bored at church, but the moment our team is playing, now we're ready to have a party. Wouldn't invite anybody to do anything with you religiously, but as soon as your team plays, my God, it's seven barbecues and a bag of Doritos. You see what I'm saying? Our interests should warn us that we could have something we care more about than we care about God. What are you allowing yourself to be obsessed with? The R in first. Now, the F was finances. The I was interest. The R is relationships. We have to put God first because it is unfair to ask any relationship in our life to be for us what God God is supposed to be. It is unfair. People talk about, oh, my kids are my everything. That's not fair to your kids. I sensed a quiet zone over here. Maybe, maybe, maybe. (laughs) Um, It's not fair. Oh, my wife is my everything. It's not fair to your wife. There is a right relationship with God in your life. Only God can be your everything. People get to be imperfect. People get to have bad days. People get to make mistakes. Don't demand them to be your everything. And watch how putting God first in your life makes every relationship in your life actually healthy. You're able to see. You're not going to a relationship and saying, oh, fix me, fix me, fix me. People can't fix you. Only God can fix you. And when you put God, oh my goodness, I might even preach here a little bit today. When I put God first, it allows me to have a right relationship with everybody else. I put God first, it allows me to have right friendships. When I put God first, it lets me have a right marriage if that is where my life, if, if you're a person in a marriage. If I put God first, it allows me to have right family relationships. And so relationships matter, but they are particularly dangerous when God's not first. If God isn't first in your life, the odds of you being led astray through some type of a relationship are crazy high. Because if God's not going to be the source of your all, you're getting it somewhere. You're getting approval somewhere. You're getting love somewhere. You're getting... And if you aren't getting that from God, you have set yourself up to fall into a snare. Oh, I'm going to move along here. But I'm telling you, we want God first in our relationship. First in our finances, it's biblical. If he's not first there, it's a problem. First in our interests, have no other God before me. First in our relationship, a mirror reflects, Proverbs 27, 19, a mirror reflects a man's face. But what he really what he is really like is shown by the kind of friends he chooses. The S is schedule, schedule, schedule. Are you making room in your schedule for God? 
We're starting a new year. We're trying to get this right. We're putting God first. We are committed to the dailiness of consecration. Not just a blessing here when they sing our favorite song or when we like the preacher. The dailiness of consecration. Is God on your schedule or would your schedule ask you who God was if you put him there? I have to make time. About uh, 13 months ago now, uh, we started early prayer together here at the church, and um, we had uh, about, I don't know, it's about 30 of us uh, most, most days uh, that are praying, praying together uh, five days a week. Um, and it has been, sometimes it has been a source of tremendous strength in my life, and sometimes it has felt like, my God, why did I ever start this? I just want to sleep in and let my wife tell me I did good yesterday. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? But it's in the, come on now, the dailiness that my heart is changed. It's in the dailiness that I become an individual of faith. It is in the dailiness that prayer changes me. It's day one and day two and day three and day four. I'm cha- Oh, I want to shout about the day of Pentecost, but what about day five and day six and day seven? You see what I'm talking about here. We must put God on our schedule. Starting next Sunday, we're going to start seven or maybe 10 days of prayer and fasting. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> um, and we will make a decision to, in those, uh, those, that, the, the, that time, uh, we will make a decision to make an extra effort in our life to put God first, to say, you are the source of our hope. You are the foundation of our life. If anything good thing comes from me, God, it's going to be your goodness to me. If I accomplish anything for you, it's going to be your mercy in my life. There's nothing good of this flesh, only want and narcissistic desire. But you are the one who washed my sins away. You are the one who gave me hope and spiritual redemption. You are the one I am committed to and not just on Sunday when they're having a good service. Day after day after day I die daily. Ephesians 5.16, this is um, Philip's translation, make the best use of your time despite all the evil of these days. Don't be vague, but grasp firmly what you know to be the will of God. Somebody say it with me. Make the best use of your time. How do I put God on my schedule? It's not hard. You just put him on there. Stop making it hard. Stop making it complicated. Tomorrow's coming. When are you talking to God? And the T of our uh, little memory aid first. So finances, interests, relationships, schedule. And the last one is where do you go in time of trouble? Do you go to God first in your trouble? Psalms 50, verse number 15. Pray to me in time of trouble. I will rescue you and you will honor me. If you aren't asking God for wisdom first, from where are you seeking wisdom? What's the biggest pressure point in your life? Uh, Part of spiritual maturity is not just knowing things about God, but it's knowing things about yourself. Um, And being honest with the pressure points in your life. There are some circumstances that you can joke about, you can talk about. Don't get quiet on me now. 
you can joke about, you can talk about, other people can joke about, other people can talk about. You are cool as a cucumber. But there's some pressure areas in your life that if someone goes to touch it, you are ready to have a come to Jesus meeting. You are ready to slap a fool. You are ready. You know what I'm talking about. There's pressure points in your life. Are you aware of that? And do you take those pressure points to God? Do you lay them on the altar and seek wisdom? He instructed us to ask wisdom of him and he would freely give it. Where is the pain? That is where you need to surrender to God. Chances are you are clinging too tightly to something you don't have control over. And the agony of that tension has produced this pressure point in your life. And you will do on nearly anything but give it to God. You're afraid he might tell you, my grace is sufficient. And you don't want sufficient grace. You want God to do what you told him. Where do you go when the pressure points of your life? Where do you go in the loneliness of your life? When you feel despair, everybody, if you're reflective at all or melancholy at all or have bad weeks at all, you have those moments where you wonder, am I making sense of this life? Am I doing things right? Am I doing it wrong? Go to God. Take those pressure points to God. What wakes you up with stress dreams? Everybody's stress dreams are different. Some people still dream about snakes. I know people, every time they dream about snakes, they have a prophecy. Behold, a snake shall come forth. If that works for you, you should rebuke them snakes in Jesus' name. My grandmother, she hated snakes the day of her life. I used to show her when I was an ornery kid. Thank God, God saved me. I accepted Christ as my personal savior and now I'm heaven bound. But I used to be ornery. I'm not like that anymore. And I would get a picture of a snake and I just would be at her house or something. I'd say, oh, look, grandma, look at this. And the moment she said that, she said, oh, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. She rebuked every picture of a snake and I laughed about it my whole life. I'd tell my friends, I'd be like, yo, watch this, watch this. I'd go over in church. I say, look, grandma, I rebuke that snake in Jesus' name. Well, what is the stress in your life? Have you given it to God? What are the tears in your life? Come on, Jesus. Have you given them to God? What are you doing with your troubles? What are you doing with your troubles? Give them to God. Turn to me first. And on and on this principle of the daily work of consecration, the daily work of consecration. And when God is not first in my finances, it does not necessarily show in my finances, but it shows. When God is not first in my interests, it may not be there, but it shows. Relationships, it may not be there, but it shows. Schedule, troubles, I take onto myself more than I can bear because I would not give it to God. His promise was that he would not put more on me than I could bear, but I have to admit that I'm pretty good at putting more on me than I can bear. And I want you to start this year with a reconnection with the dailiness of your consecration. Musicians, you can come. I want to end by sharing with you some uh, interesting, at least to me, interesting uh, uh, data that I came across that I, I thought could be easily applied to uh, our spiritual walk. And that is the realization that um, the 
first of the year is the most common time for people to join a gym. Now, I'm not going to ask you to confess how many of you have ever joined a gym the first of the year, uh, but I would, uh, I would uh, think surely that we are like many people, and uh, the new year comes and we think, I'm going to join the gym, I'm going to be stronger, I'm going to be healthier, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but here's the reality. Most people who join the gym in January are done with the gym in January. <laughs> they join it, but the gym usually did not have a January-only contract because gyms who do not have any type of a longer-term contract um, are, uh, they're not dependent on that newbie signing up and paying for it. Because if people sign up in the first of the year and then they pay those dues, what they have done is they have made the business model viable. In other words, the gym business could not exist without the people who sign up in January, work out for two or three weeks, and never darken the door door again. They depend on that. And if you take those people out, suddenly their business model loses money. Um, I, uh, I know, forgive me for saying this, but the same principles are true in making the spiritual man strong as is in something as, 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 as obvious as uh, working out or getting healthy. Um, I looked at some of the research that had been done by various sociologists on the difference in the people who uh, stay at the gym and the people who only go for a few weeks and then they never go back again, so help them God. Uh, the differences are fascinating because when I read them, there was, there's, there was a lot of them, but I, I focused in on ones that I could share with you. Uh, every, every one of them was true and applicable to the spiritual element in our life. And so I want to end today by having you consider this. Then I want us to could, uh, take a moment and pray together about what this coming year is going to look like. Um, the first principle uh, that was different between people who actually kept going to the gym and people who joined, but they only went for a little while. They paid for a year, but they only went for a few weeks. The biggest difference, well, not the biggest, but one of the biggest differences um, is the difference of uh, whether or not you add it to a busy day or you plan a busy day around it. Um, people who plan their workout and then put their busy day around that workout have a much higher chance of continuing it than people who just look at their schedule and try to find a spot where they can slip it in. So is true with keeping strong that spiritual man or woman within us. If you do not plan your prayer, your praise, and your time in the word first, there is a solid chance there won't be any prayer, and there won't be any praise, and there won't be any time in the word. If it matters, my brothers and sisters, let's all treat it like it matters. If it doesn't matter, fine. I get it. Do you? But if it matters, let's treat it like it matters. God's given us a whole new year. We commit ourselves to you in this year to come, oh God. The second thing was um, 
it didn't matter. Well, let me say it this way. If you picked a steady time uh, and stuck with that time, um, you had a much higher chance of continuing to work out uh, because you had a steady time. There was something else I didn't mention in the 9 a.m. service, but I want to mention now because this is so good. Um, If you had a steady time, you're able to negotiate with yourself on days you don't want to go if you have a steady time. And that negotiation looks like this. Um, I'll just go and I'll just do one circuit. I'll just do one circuit, but I'm not staying home because you have a steady time. And you say, I'm just going, I'm going to do one circuit. You negotiate with your willpower. And what you find is when you get there and you've done one circuit, doing the second circuit is actually pretty easy. The hard work was getting your lazy hide there. That's how I feel as a pastor about church. The challenge is getting, which, which, which camera's on? I can't see which camera's on. Right here. The challenge, dearly beloved, <laughs> is getting your lazy hide to the church. <laughs> Once you get here, it's fun. <laughs> Once you get here, it feels good. Once you get here, it's good to see somebody. You get to hug on little people. <laughs> you get to compliment your brothers and sisters. You get to cut up with your family. But getting there, if you set a steady time, you're much more likely to stick to it because you can negotiate with your own laziness, saying, oh, today I'm just going to do 10 minutes. That's all I'm going to do. And you find out that once you get going, it wasn't near as bad as you thought it was. The third principle to make sure that the difference, the people who actually stuck with it versus those who quit it, um, was you can't think of working out or that kind of a thing as taking away from your obligations. You have to think of it as one of your biggest obligations. Now, I had a personal uh, testimony. Some of you guys have heard me tell this before. Um, When I finished uh, chemotherapy, uh, I'm a cancer survivor. When I finished chemotherapy, I was working for my dad. He was lead pastor here. And he had a meeting with me one day and he said, what do you think relieves your stress more than anything else? And I thought about it and I told him, for me, it was working out. And um, he said, all right, I want you to start working out four or five days a week and I want you to do it like it's your job. Well, I'd never thought of it like doing it was my job. And I was like, well, okay, if, you know, if I don't have to apologize for it, if it's part of my job. And it got me in a habit, and to this day, I may struggle with eating healthy, but I don't struggle with working out. Because I changed my mindset. When I thought of, when I read that, it reminded me of that story. And it reminded this principle, it, it, um, how shall I say, it emphasized this principle. Your spirit, feeding your spiritual man or woman is not something you should do if you have time. The proper care of your soul should not be something that you do if you have time to do it. The care of your soul is the most important thing you will do all day. Money comes and goes. Houses and lands rise and fall. Awards and accomplishments come and go. But caring for your spiritual... What doth it profit a man, Jesus said, if he gains the whole world and loses? Don't think about it as taking away from your obligations. Think about it as one of your biggest obligations. The fourth one was this. Reconnect with your why every day. 
Don't just say, oh, God, I got to go to the gym. Connect with why you have to go to the gym and talk back to the emotions that are within you. This principle is so fundamental, uh, really, to maturity of all types and kinds, but particularly spiritual maturity. If you let your life be governed by how things feel, you're not going to stick through it nearly anything worth doing. If you let your faith be governed by how you feel, you've got to learn how to talk back to your feelings. In fact, one of the great benefits of brothers and sisters is they will call you on your own self-deceptions. They'll be like, that's just dumb. Nobody thinks that about you. You're all cried yourself into a corner. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I think I'm going to eat worms. And your friend's like, well, go ahead if you want to, but that's just dumb. (laughs) People aren't even thinking about you. You have dreamt up this whole case against me. (sighs) Reconnect with your why. Why? Do you want to be a spiritual person? Why do you want to walk with God? You get that connection. You can carry that truth back to the chaos of your emotions and say, no, you're going to pray because the why is bigger than the feeling that is hindering you. Reconnect with your why. The fifth one, I'm almost done, was have a fallback plan. Always have a plan B. Never let yourself slide. Never let yourself slide. Always have a plan B. Your plan A may look like I'm going to pray for an hour. I'm going to call Sister Venice and see if she can pray with me. And then I'm going to call Sister Bridget and see if she can pray with me. And if none of them can pray with me, well, then I'm going to call Pastor Don, but he don't want to pray. I'm going to call Pastor Ed. He don't want to pray. I'm going to call Pastor Nathan. I'm just going to get voicemail if I call him. I've heard it all. I've heard it all. That's plan A. Here comes plan B. I intended to pray an hour a day, but there will be no day when I close my eyes on this pillow where I don't stop myself and say, thank you, Jesus, for your great love to me. Thank you, Jesus, for wrapping your arms around me. Thank you, Jesus, for mercy. I am a recipient of mercy. Thank you for washing my sins away. Thank you for the death angel passing on by as I was covered, 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 covered by the blood. I didn't get my hour in today, oh Lord, but I want you to know, if it were not for you in my life, where would I be? But never let yourself slide. Plan A, plan B. But there is no sliding. And the last one is this. This is the single most statistically important thing to do if you're trying to go, and we're just using the example of a gym, but the really the, it's a human problem. It's not a gym problem. Um, the single most important thing you can do to stick to it is stop doing it alone. Find someone and do it with them. Now, let me spiritualize this. God did not intend you to serve him alone. He has created the church that is his body in the earth. 
This church is likened unto a ship of Zion that is beset by storms, beset by wind, beset by rain, waves batter against it, but this ship of Zion sails on through storm, through trouble. You are not the ship of Zion. You were called to get in the ship of Zion. The sailor is not an ocean-going vessel. And if you want to kill a sailor, just get him out of the ship, and he or she will not last very long. But as long as the sailor is inside the ship, there is a stability, there is a hope, there is a safety. Stop trying to overcome fear alone. Find a brother and sister you can pray with. Find someone you can open your heart to. Find someone to open your your, your, your prayer request, shall I say, to make your needs known one to another. Make an effort to come into the house of the Lord. Don't try to be thankful alone. Get in the house of the Lord and lift up holy hands without wrath or doubting and express your thanksgiving to God. Stand with me all across the house. Plan your day around it. Pick a time and stick with it. Don't think of it as taking away from your obligations, but think of it as one of your biggest obligations. Reconnect every day with why you're doing it. Have a fallback plan. Have a goal and then have a minimum. And finally, stop trying to do it alone. Enemy has his greatest success by isolating you. This is why as a church, we try so hard to connect with you. This is why uh, I'm teaching first steps after this. This is why we're eating together. This is why we're talking. This is why the staff is coming by. This is why next week, one of our other pastors will be teaching. We want you to do it together with us. We don't want you to be uh, vulnerable to the traps of isolation and loneliness. You've maybe tried it that way before and found out it's not a very good way to do it. I'm inviting you into the embrace of the church. I'm inviting you into the imperfect embrace of people who have a lot in common with you, people who know what it's like to fail, people who know what it's like to get themselves up and dust themselves off and try again, people who know what it's like to have to repent about the same sin repeatedly and repeatedly, and people who know what it's like to try and fail but not give up on God. People who know what it's like to make a step forward and then seemingly a step back and then a step forward. Welcome to the church. Lord Jesus, I pray for every individual here today. Lord, I pray for the person who has seriously considered making a commitment uh, this year. They have considered making changes in their life, in their habits. They have seriously considered committing to a consistent worship time, a consistent prayer time. They have committed or they have considered committing to a local church. God, I pray that they would feel a connection in their spirit today and they would feel this sermon as an invitation from God 
in their heart, not just as the words of a preacher, but let them feel, O oh Lord, this as an invitation from you, as an invitation to step forward, as an invitation to, to commit themselves, as an invitation to dedicate themselves. God, save us from our excuses. Save us from our apathy. Save us from our laziness. Help us to be wholly committed. Consecration is a day-by-day -day endeavor. It's not just a once occasionally. It is a day-by-day -day effort, prayer, consistent dedication, calling, asking wisdom, repenting of sins, speaking the name of Jesus, celebrating the promises of God. Here we are, oh God. Lead us by your spirit today. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us. Thank you.